You're listening to the Ghost Hunter Advice Podcast. Advice from the pros, stories from the haunted. You are listening to Ghost Hunter Advice. Thank you so much for tuning into the show this week. I am joined today by Samantha Warden. She is the founder of Mystique Paranormal here in Chattanooga. And I've been getting so many questions from listeners and from from people in the Facebook group about how to join or how to start a paranormal research team. Samantha runs one of the, the, the tightest groups that I have seen and that I have worked with um, in the past. They, they have this down to, um, down to a science. Uh, Sam, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm doing great. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So you started a team. Um, when did you start Mystique? Uh, September 2011. Oh, you guys been going for a while. What yeah. uh, what got you into ghost hunting? Uh, I had a lot of experiences starting as a young child um, that were just, you know, unexplained. And, you know, some were... Maybe it could be this, or maybe it could be that. And then others were, there's no other explanation. And, you know, then, what was it? Right around 2004, when Ghost Hunters started having their show on uh, Mm Sci-Fi. And uh, I I think with a lot of people watching those shows, it's like, maybe I can do it. Because, you know, prior to that, like, people who did ghost hunting, you just, you thought, oh gosh, they're weird. Um, yeah, I but, did it back then when uh, everybody kind of looks at you sideways when you're when you're a ghost <laughs> hunter, and then suddenly sci-fi puts this show out, and it's like the coolest thing on the planet. And I'm like, right. what, what happened? <laughs> well, I just had never really considered it, like you know, doing it. And then I saw the show, and I'm like, well, that's totally doable. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I ended up joining another group that was out of the Cleveland, Tennessee area. Um, they've since disband- disbanded, but. Uh, I joined them and, and got a lot of experience and just really got a passion for it. I totally forgot that you were with those guys out of Cleveland. I, I remember the team that you're talking about. Yeah. And um, yeah, I can see a lot of carryover from like policies and stuff there. That's uh, a, yep. yep. yeah. And that's, that's actually a reason why like listeners, if you, uh, if I gave you the advice to, to start a team, it's not just, or to join a team before you start one, it's not just, um, to learn how to ghost hunt and learn how to do it in a in a residential and a, a professional environment, um, it's so that you can learn some of the uh, some of the liabilities and stuff. So when you yeah. um, when you started your team, what made you decide to actually start a team instead of uh, instead of joining another one? I I had decided to leave the other team for a, a number of personal reasons that I won't get into, um, but. There were there were some things that they did that I thought was awesome. There were some things they did that I was kind of iffy about, and then there were some things they did that I just didn't think were uh, the most. What's the correct word here? The most um, maybe proficient way to do things. Yeah, that's a good word. And I'm not speaking bad about them at all. Um, I think that by joining another team you get the experience like you said of how to do an investigation but you get kind of the um, what's actually involved with it because if all you do is watch tv shows and think i want to run a paranormal group you have no idea how much work is involved um so it's good to kind of get an idea of what it's actually like um so joining another group is 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 one of the top things i recommend to people mm-hmm. when they, you want to you want to start your own group well you know join one first stay with them for at least a year or two get an idea of what you like what you don't like um and if you do want to start your own team you you have some somewhere to uh, a starting point of what you want to do mm-hmm. so to speak yeah so when you uh when you got out on your own and you started yours what uh, what was the biggest surprise going from just uh, just ghost hunting and from an investigator role to uh, to actually being a team lead? Um, well, probably two things. One is you, I had no idea how much more work it was. Um, 
you know, there's a lot more involved if you're the one in charge of making sure everything goes smoothly, if you're the one in charge of making sure you have all the legal um, protections you need, everyone's safety, um, making sure everyone's getting all their review done, then getting stuff ready for the client for a reveal. Um, just just a lot more work than I realized up front. Um, and then the other thing was finding finding people who were like-minded because I, I, you know, one of the things that I've ran into over the last 10 years is a lot of people want to join, but they don't realize how much work it's going to be. All they're thinking about is going on the fun ghost hunt, um, mm-hmm. not all the work that goes with that. So a lot of people join and leave because they just aren't willing to do the work. Yeah, I, I can see you like turning and burning through a lot of people. Now, the the way that you have your team set up and the the way that you've done... Um, the the share and the uh, the brunt of the work is uh, is really interesting, and I I apologize guys my son is uh, is going down for his nap <laughs> and having a bit of a screaming fit so you guys might hear him I'm not entirely sure if it's coming through or not but just in case sorry about that um, so put uh, putting the team together and the uh, the liability the work the uh, the things that people don't normally think of. Um, what was the biggest challenge for you and what took the longest time to uh, to get right? Probably just kind of the general figuring out how I wanted to um, structure things mm-hmm. and how I wanted to organize. Those were probably the two that took the longest to get to a point where it is today where things pretty much run seamlessly as long as everybody does their their portion of the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it takes a while to get controls and things in place like that, especially uh especially what we call personnel controls. Now, let's yes. uh let's walk through an investigation. What um what was your favorite case and uh and why since you've started Mystique? Um I mean, honestly, I could tell you about a ton. Um think we've done something like 70 investigations over the last 10 years uh but probably my favorite is a location that we've investigated i think 12 times and it was actually our the place we did our very first investigation in september of 2011 it is the old crombie's funeral parlor on broad street yeah i've heard you talk about it a few times yeah um so let's uh, let's walk through that that first investigation when you uh, when you okay. guys went out to Crombie's and then we'll we'll kind of talk about it because having a having a place like this that you can go to multiple times and really get to know it and get into the history and and just have access to is something that I talk about a lot on the show, and this yeah. is a this is a good opportunity to highlight why. Um, so okay. talking about that that first investigation, what was that like the first night you went out to Crombie's and and how did you get access to it? Well, I used to work. Um, on Lookout Mountain. So I drive by it all the time and I didn't even know what it was. Um, you know, it's an old building. It has this green awning over the door. It says Crombie's. But I didn't know what it was. But I always felt kind of drawn to it. And I think one year they did a haunted house there. And the place where I worked, they were talking about it. Oh, you're going to go to the haunted house at the old funeral parlor. <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? Where's that? And they're like, oh, down on Broad Street. So that's how I found out that it was you know, a funeral parlor. So when I started the group, I looked up through tax records who owned it and just, you know, I sent him an, I sent him an email. And he, he said he'd never thought about it, but sure, we could come. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you... Uh... He, he's the, the owner's amazing. He's a really great guy. So when you uh, when you went out there the the first time, what was that like? Did you did you all just go out there with the equipment, or did you do some interviewing with the owner and do a little bit of uh, a little bit of record searching before going out? Uh, before going, yeah, before going the first time, we did some basic research, and because the location is kind of like an abandoned um, structure, we we actually asked the owner if we could come in and like kind of clean up for the night of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just so we didn't like walk into like a post sticking out of the wall and like you know chop off an ear or something hey safety first so, <laughs> <laughs> so we, we had talked to the owner 
um, and we had talked to some a guy that works for him, and uh, they they were just they were interested to see what we found, but they didn't really have any claims for it. Mm-hmm. So it was a location that we went into with um, basically no information on what could be going on there. Interesting. Yeah, so it was kind of a, a blind a blind investigation, so to speak. But um, we did do the, some basic research before going the first time, and then after that, we did a lot more in-depth research. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I I don't know if you know about the building, but a, a basically a family, the Crombie family, ran their funeral home out of there, and they lived on the top floor. The main floor was where they did, you know, the wakes and the services, and then um, embalming and all that happened in the basement. And they were just an amazing family. They really took care of their community. Um, they were an African-American family. And that area there, South Broad, um, the neighborhood, these people would literally, if, if somebody couldn't afford to be buried or have a service, they would pay for it. Oh, wow. So they really took care of their community. community. And I've actually went to the grave sites of a couple of them just to say thank you. Um, I get, oh God, I get so teary eyed thinking about it. Um, just amazing. Just an amazing family. It's always great. Really like their community. Yeah. It's always great when you're digging through history and you find really good people. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when you, uh, when you went out and you were actually in the building, you went out in the daylight, cleaned it up. Um, did you go back at night or did you do any daytime work there at the, uh, at the place too? The first time we went and cleaned, we really didn't do as much cleaning as we did the second time, just mm-hmm. because we realized we left the first time we were covered in dirt and we were sneezing black stuff for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, so the, the first time we went, it was just kind of a walk through the building and kind of like push stuff to the side so that it wasn't sticking out or in the walkway. Um, and then the second time we went, we actually brought like brooms and stuff and like tried to sweep the floor. Um, but no, we didn't really do investigation the first time we went during the day. When we went the second time to clean up during the day, we weren't necessarily doing an investigation, but we had some paranormal experiences happen while we were there during the day. So it's a very active location at night and during the day. Neat. I, I found at, uh, at locations that have a lot of activity, it's like that. So many, uh, so many ghost hunters go during the night, uh, and I've talked to ghost hunters and, and paranormal investigators from back in the '80s and before, before yeah. they had night vision, and they did all this stuff in the daylight. They didn't even go at night. Yeah. Um, which uh, a, a lot of people that watch the TV shows don't get that. You can get the same stuff in the daytime as you can in the night, and I, I think we've talked about this before, and uh, we're both in agreement. Doing it at nighttime, it just gives you a little bit more control over the variables because you can control the light and there's less sound and, and all that. But right. Plus with, there's the theory of, of, you know, the paranormal ghost spirits, whichever you want to call them, manifesting and being able to see them with IR or full spectrum, which mm-hmm. is a little easier to use at night. Oh, yeah, way easier to use at night. Um, so when you went into Crombie's, what uh, what was your setup on that first investigation when you went out and actually did a full-blown investigation? Well, um, I didn't have any uh, DVR systems or any of that yet. Um, I had some, I think I had like two or three Sony camcorders, um, pro- probably, probably two. And then, you know, digital camera and the um, the audio recorder that I had from my that I'd bought when I was with the other group. So I had very limited equipment um, for that first investigation, but literally our first rotation, we went out, we caught something. That's pretty cool. Like going out, a lot lot of people think they have to have the DVRs and the NVRs and all the, all the super fancy equipment, but there's a lot of guys that do business in residential and they have like maybe a camera, a nice voice recorder. And uh, these days, maybe a spirit box. Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to do this. It's just the more you have, the the more you could possibly get. The more um, you can capture, yeah. Yeah. So with the, with going out and getting it that first night, so your, you, your first time setting up was, was very limited as you, as you went through and as you learned things, did you use Crombie to, to help, or I think I said that right, to, to help dial things in for your team and how you were going to be doing things moving forward? 
it was definitely part of the um part of the uh, forming of the way we did things because i mean we went there so often like all all i'd have to do is contact the owner and be like hey you know can we come up you know next weekend do an investigation and he'd come let us in and so it was it was very um it was very convenient it was you know we always get activity when we go there i've never went and not had anything happen that's really Um, cool you know, the, the only downside really for promies is it's right by 27. So the traffic noise is kind of obnoxious, but, um, it's, it is, it's, uh, it's an amazing location. Interesting. So, um, with a, a location like Crombie's where you have a lot of background noise, when you're doing your EVP reviews, um, do you guys tag the, tag that noise or do you put it in sort of in, in inside of any sort of audio um, thing to try to filter out traffic stuff? Well, generally, if you have like a consistent noise that you know is going to be there, mm-hmm. we tag it at the beginning of an audio or video session um, just as a reminder that, hey, you're listening to this, you're going to hear car noise and sometimes people walking down the street. And um, It makes it, it definitely makes it more difficult um, and you have to be a little harder on the stuff that you find because you have, have to keep in mind you know there's there's visual matrixing but there's also audio matrixing so mm-hmm. you have to look for the things that are very clear now when you're doing the investigation so you started at crombies um when uh, how long after you started the team did you get into doing residential investigations we did our first residential case that was in september we did our first residential in Oh God, was it December? I want to say it was in December, but give or take a month. It, it could have been November. It could have been uh, January, but it was right around that time frame. Okay. So what was that like when, uh, when you took the team from doing, uh, doing Crombies and doing what um, is essentially the investigated the way that we do public locations, but it's inside and semi-private. What yeah. was the biggest difference in going from Crombie's to someone's house? There's a lot more there's a lot there's a lot more involved with doing a private home. Um, You have more of a need to review things quicker, get back to them quicker um, and then you're also like at, at Crombie's, I mean, the owner would come let us in and then he'd leave. Um, at a private home, it's a little different because you're in someone's home. So that they're going to be there with you, at least for a portion of it. Um, so you, you have that that kind of constant interaction. And there, for, for me and for my group, we really stress not doing anything that's going to frighten the client. Um so if something scary happens to you, running out of the, out of their house screaming is just not a good idea. Um, if, you know, especially if they're there, because that's really going to one make us look unprofessional, and then the second thing is it's going to scare the living daylights out of them. Mm-hmm. If the ghost hunter is running screaming from their house. Um, so in a situation so, like that, what do you uh, what do you have the team member do? Say like something that I say, everybody does have a limit on, on what they yes. can take. Um, what's your advice to a, uh, to a ghost hunter who's maybe getting started or maybe gets into a situation that's a first time for them and it is outside of their comfort zone and they need to take themselves away from it? How, how would you extract them from that situation? Well, we pretty much always work in teams, so you're always going to be with somebody else. Um, so if you feel uncomfortable like I tell the people in my group, if you feel uncomfortable, you know, speak up and let the person you're with know. Now, obviously, if the client's there, you're going to have to do it in a more um, circumspect way. But you can just say, you know, I, I really need to step outside for a moment. And that doesn't, you're not saying that, you know, I'm scared this demon's going to eat me and I need to get outside. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so just I mean, saying, I need to step outside. I need to step away for a few minutes and. You know, that's perfectly acceptable. Sometimes you just need to do that. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, we are going to go ahead and take a break on that question. When we get back from the commercial break, we're going to get into the uh, into the nuts and bolts of a team and uh, and joining a team. Three, two, one. Okay, so when I see those three bumps, I'll know to cut this out, and then we'll paste the commercial in. Good job on the okay. first half. Okay, that was good. I feel like <laughs> I'm having to dust stuff off. It's been a while. Oh no, no, I totally understand. When I uh, when I came back to do this podcast, and when I came back to sit down and start talking about this stuff again, um, I have forgotten more than I thought I've ever known. That's yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like oh god, so I've got all of my books now beside this, so that I can do a quick brush up here and there on different theories. Um, I'm doing an episode in a couple of weeks on uh, on thought form manifestations, and I'm like oh crap, I got to reread all this crap. Got to you got to brush up on the on the on the tupla. Yeah. <laughs> Man. So let, with this one, we're going to get into like the actual nuts and bolts of how a team works. Um Okay. Uh what are some areas that you want to talk about? Um probably things like uh, legal forms. I mean, that's something people don't think about safety um the different types of groups that there are and that there's not a right or wrong way to investigate, um, knowing your equipment, you know, what's, what's kind of essential equipment and what's, you know, mm-hmm. other good things to have, you know, something along those lines, unless there's something you can think of outside of that, because again, I'm still brushing stuff off. Yeah, no, you're good. That's uh, <laughs> that, that's about everything. Um, I was also going to get into um, what people need to know to join a team. Okay. Interesting. And we're not going to talk about this on this this particular episode, but I uh, I was playing around with the spirit box and I had turned it on. And did I tell you about the uh, the figure in my house? No. The house is not haunted. This this property has nothing supernatural in it. Um, okay. I was playing around with my spirit box. Just uh, I was looking at it, trying to look at the cadence and listen to the cadence to see if maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, trying to find ways to identify audio pareidolia and audio matrixing and uh, was just just screwing around with it and I turn it off and uh, I I went to bed that night and and weird stuff started happening like things kind of moved things started disappearing for a couple of days and I I go to bed uh, I think it was two nights later I go to bed and I just wake up in the middle of the night and I sit up and I'm like I feel weird I feel like I feel yeah. like someone's watching me, and I, I like look over, and we have a next to the bed. There's a doorway that leads to our our ensuite, and a, another door through that that leads to a third bedroom that uh, that we converted to a walk-in closet. And there's a woman standing there, and it's like uh, it's not like full featured. I just see like yeah. the outline of a woman. It's a shadow. She's standing there, short curly short curly hair by the by the shape of it, and I'm like, oh crap. And it just <laughs> walks into the closet and I'm sitting up and I'm like, maybe I'm asleep. And then Kristen sets up and she goes, what, what's going on? And I'm like, nothing, go back to sleep. <laughs> Cause she told me when I got that, she goes, do not turn that on in the house. Do not use that here. And I, I, I wasn't actually using it, but I turned it on. And like the, uh, the next, uh, next time I turned it on to, to mess with it and try to try to see what was going on, see if the, cause it happened right after the box. Um, yeah. I turned it on, it was on for about 10 minutes and then, um, I haven't seen anything since then. And that's when I, uh, I stumbled on to, um, um, Hollanday, uh, Bruce Hollanday. And, okay. uh, he worked with Frank on making the, the first ghost boxes. And he was talking Frank's about, box. yeah, the Frank's box. And he yeah. talked about how, um, it, the, the, the physical part of how it works is, uh, it uses the, the fragments of sound to, to make words. What connects it though is your psychic and spiritual energy being focused on the box and being used to open a doorway, and that there are these beings on the other side that are spirits that step in and act as uh, operators or uh, he calls them technicians, and it opens a doorway. And every once in a while, something will get through, and it's the technician's job to pull them back, or they'll just step through and you'll turn the box off because you didn't go through a closeout session. 
to say, hey, I'm closing this box down um, so that things can either go back through or be drug a drug back through. And uh, you'll be stuck with a ghost until you turn the box back on. And I was reading that and I was like, oh my God, there might be something to that. Oh, I mean, there's not that much of a difference between EVP recorders and ITC, other ITC devices and a Ouija board. There's not yep. that much difference. It's, so you you have to take the precautions. Like when we use the ghost box, as soon as I turn it on, one of the first things I say is I'm only seeking to speak to who's already in this house. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any invitations. You know, so I'm being very specific up front. And then I generally do kind of a blanket statement when we're at the investigation, even without the ghost box, just any communication we do is only for the spirits that are here because we don't want to make it worse. Yep. You know? Yep. We're there to help, not to <laughs> compound their problem. And I, I was I was a little ticked at myself for making like a rookie mistake like that, but I didn't think just, I, like a, a voice recorder, you're not throwing out a big freaking beacon when you turn it on, but I guess a ghost box that is made for spirit communication that when you click one yeah. of those on, you're basically like popping on a radio and saying, hey guys, who wants to talk? Yeah. Um, we have yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, oh crap! It's pretty so. much the same thing. <laughs> but all right, let's. Uh, are you? If you're ready, let's uh, let's jump back into the interview. All right. Cool. Go all right, going three, two, one. Welcome back to the show. So in this segment, guys, we are going to be deep diving, getting uh, getting a team going, and if you are looking toward. Um, toward joining a team, we're going to talk about some of the things you're going to want to know to do that. So just kind of getting started, let's talk about the different types of, uh, of ghost hunting teams. Sure. Um, so, I'll, so there's essentially three different types and variations of those three types. So you have on one end, you have scientific investigations, and that's where you rely solely on your equipment and what your equipment finds. On the total other end of the spectrum is the metaphysical investigation. Now, that's where you have psychics and sensitives that are going on the information they're getting. They might have some pieces of of equipment, but it's primarily focused on the information they're receiving. And then you have groups who try to mix the two. So you have mix. Um, The group I started with was mix. Um, There, at least that I saw, there's a lot of um, stumbling blocks to doing that. so when I decided to start a team, I decided, even though I have what I guess could be termed as gifts, I'm more interested in what can I find and, and physically show somebody. And in order to do that, I need the equipment. So I lean more towards the side of doing the scientific investigation, but I don't think that there's a right or wrong way to investigate. Um, as long as what you're doing is helping people, you're not trespassing or vandalizing, it, it, it's all good, so to speak. Just whatever feels right for you. Now, getting uh, getting these teams, whichever one that you decide to get on, some of the places that uh, that we go into as ghost hunters are not in the best shape, like like what you were talking about earlier with uh, with Crombie. Yeah. Um, so, what are uh, what are some basic safety precautions that uh, that people that are starting a team um, are going to need to know and are going to need to think about? You know, one of the the things that's really simple is have a first aid kit. That that is one of the the simplest things you can do. Um, But the other things are like, with all my investigators, part of what I ask them when they join and I have them put on their application packet is if we have to call an ambulance, what do I need to tell them? Like if you're like deathly allergic to morphine or something, like I need to know that. I can tell them. So having that kind of information handy and with you on investigation. So just in case something were to happen, you would have the information as well as emergency contact. Um, And then the other thing is doing solo sessions. If you're in a safe location, that's perfectly fine. Um, If you're at a location where, you know, it's not secure, there's a lot of physical dangers, you know, somebody could, a human could stumble in because the most dangerous thing in the paranormal is actually other humans. Mm-hmm. Um, for those reasons, if you're in those type of locations, you really don't need to be doing a solo session. You need to be in teams. And that's because, you know, the physical safety 
Um, and something else that goes along with working in, in a team with another investigator is if something frightening happens, you're more likely to stick around and try to figure out what it is if you're with somebody else, especially for people who are new. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of your first, you know, something really frightening happens, your first instinct is to run. Well, in some of those locations, running is going to seriously physically injure you um, in the dark, in a dangerous spot. Um, but the other thing is that, you know, when activity happens, you need to run towards it, not away from it. And sometimes just having that extra person there um, steadies the investigator enough to be able to do that. So a lot of this comes down to using the buddy system, staying with your buddy when you're when you're on investigation so that someone's there to watch your back. But also, yep. at, specifically as the team lead, you need to ask the right questions, have the information about your team, and have it on hand on location in case something yep. does happen. If somebody falls through a floor and breaks their leg and the ambulance shows up and they've got a... Um, they've got an allergy to whatever medication or painkiller that they're going to try to give them, that's crucial that you have that with you so that you can tell them because they might not be able to. So I love exactly. that. I love that. Uh, very, very few teams actually think of that. So that's that's an amazing piece of advice. Now, with that, and uh, and with that playing into a, a big part of the, of the safety of the team, um, it seems to to be around the information you get and the paperwork that you get. So like what, what are some of the forms? And this is a lot of you guys are going to roll your eyes because you think this is the boring part, but this is actually what <laughs> makes an organization. Um, what are yes. some of the forms and paperwork that you recommend that they have to have that are must haves when they start out? Okay. The three most important for me, we will not invest in a location without the written permission of the owner or a person that has the authority to give us that permission. <laughs> um, so we don't just say, someone says, oh yeah, come on and, and check it out. No, I want to know and have it in writing that it's okay for us to be there. Um, so we have we have basically three forms. That form is our client, um, uh, what, is, what is the word? Client release. I have it right here. Client permission form. And I kind of, I used to have a separate form for confidentiality and I kind of combined it into the client permission form. So that is just one form and it's one less thing to fill out. Um, You know, because that's important too. You need to know going in because some places, businesses, you know, they may want people to know that they're haunted. So, you know, they're fine with you saying this is this location haunted. This is their address, this is their telephone. Like they're fine with all of it. Um, then other places, especially like private homes, obviously they want a little higher level of confidentiality. And uh, that's, that's going to change from investigation to investigation. So having, whether it's on the same form as the permission to investigate form or a separate form, you kind of need that. Um, then liability release. So we have a, we sign a liability release and give it to the client at the investigation. So we're basically saying, you know, if we injure ourselves, we're not going to sue you. Um, and then the other one that I don't think a lot of people think about is a media release. So if I'm doing an investigation, and this is mostly with other investigators, if we're doing an investigation and I get a ghost standing behind somebody, I need their permission to post that video because they're in it. Um, so with all of our application packets, all investigators, new investigators get this um, liability release. If we have guest investigators, or I'm sorry, not liability release, um, media release. If we have guest investigators on an investigation, they sign one as well. And then part of the client form, which I combined a couple of months into, I put on it if you're going to investigate with us. Um, basically, a media release, except that it, for a client, if it's audio, most people aren't going to hear someone's voice and be like, oh, that's Aunt Betty. <laughs> Uh, so for audio, as long as they're not stating their name or where they're at, that's fine. But if it's video and we get something behind them, we, you know, we blur them out so you can't tell who it is. Um, but we kind of go over that at the beginning so that there's that known expectation, um, of what, you know, we, we do, cause we don't charge for anything. All of our services are free. You know, our income, so to speak, is any evidence that we get. Mm-hmm. And that's something, um, that the, that I always did was uh, was immediately releases with the clients, um, yes. and in the in the form that I always used, it had a um, 
it had a box for special requests. So if I was going yes. in to do a residential investigation, uh, I'm a writer. Um, a lot of the stuff that I have done in the past is going into the new book that I'm working on. And those, those clients had signed releases um, that allowed me to write about the property. Um, yeah. Obviously, I am taking um, things into consideration, like their names and addresses, and I am not providing sure. those. Um, but anything that I got there is, um, it's, it's basically like my intellectual property that I can write about. Do you guys do that yeah. with, uh, with your clients? Um, on the, on the client form, the client permission form, I don't have one in front of me right now, but it, it has, um, it, it has like, there's a couple different things and then they like initial next to them and then they sign the bottom. And there's also an area um, at the bottom where I can put anything, any other special requests from the client or any special agreement that we have with the client um, goes kind of in that area. So the, the client form kind of covers what level of confidentiality we're going to do. Um, they're giving us the permit permission to be there and that they, they're stating they have the ability to give us the permission to be there. Um, and then the, the, I say kind of a limited media release in that, you know, I explain if we use your voice, you know, we'll use it. If, if you're in a video, we capture something, we would just blur you out. Is that okay? Um, and all of that has gone over with that form when we get to a location. Mm -hmm. We don't want there to be, and if there's a question later on, I just contact them and say, we have this going on, you know, is, is this okay? Um, so I, I, I like to stay in contact with our clients as much mm -hmm. as possible, especially afterwards, just to see how they're doing, how their situation is doing. Do we need to go back? Um, anything we can do that kind of thing now with the uh, the liability parts um you mentioned that there's a there's a thing on there so if the investigators or anybody on the team gets hurt they can't sue the property do you have anything on the reverse of that that protects uh protects the team in case they break something there at the property or, or something happens you know i don't I wish i had the form in front of me i believe <laughs> on the liability release we have on there that you know will replace anything that that is damaged gotcha because yeah, moving around in the dark, so yeah, you know, accidents happen. Um, I went. Uh, I went a step further on mine back uh, back in the day, and I, I just put that uh, anything that uh, that is damaged, uh, we we're not responsible for, barring gross negligence. So if somebody is throwing around vases or doing something stupid and they break it, obviously I'm going to replace that. If there is something that happens on the property that is beyond air control and something is damaged, I'm not paying yes. for that. Yeah. 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 And I'm trying to pull up my form actually right now so I can look at it. Mm -hmm. Um <laughs> so I'm like, what does it say? Okay, where is it at? Yeah, we had uh we had one investigation where it just it went nuts. There was uh, it was quiet for most of the night and then there was a pop and like picture frames started flying off the walls. And oh my gosh. yeah, some of them broke. Um, I think a lamp kicked over and broke and, and obviously I don't want to be charged for that. So that's one of those things that it, it was nice to have the release from liability and the waiver because that wasn't us. Yeah. Um, but we were there. Yeah. I can't find it right now and I don't want to, I don't want to divide my attention that much. No, 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 no. You're good. Yeah. No, I know it has like, if, if, if we damage something, uh, Within reason, we'll replace it. I mean, if we knock over a two thousand dollar Yadro statue, then obviously we don't have two thousand dollars to replace that <laughs> statue. But then you also probably shouldn't have had a two thousand dollar statue sitting on, you know, a tiny little end table. <laughs> yeah, and that might be a good idea to go over with clients. Like, if if you yeah. have expensive stuff in the house that you you definitely do not want broken, um move it unless it's like yeah. a focal point and it's something that is uh that's super important that maybe is causing the haunting or is uh a, a trigger for for activity which is sure. rare but yeah if you got a two thousand dollar statue and we're gonna be in there and we're not doing hostile provoking but you know what they might not like it and uh and the situation might go hostile and things might kick over like lamps or or yeah. photos or two thousand dollar statues get that out of there yeah yeah 
Well, we do a, a, we do an, an in-person interview, and we also do a walkthrough of the property before we even do the investigation. So, honestly, if I noticed somebody had a, a yadro sitting on a tiny little table, I would say, you probably want to move that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, going into these, um, you're, you're new, you're starting a team. What, uh, what are the absolute must-haves on the equipment? Um, well, I would say the number one most important piece of equipment that you can have is a digital audio recorder. Yep, totally agree what there. You're, what you're trying to do when you do an investigation is communicate. You know, that that is like, that's your, your, your point of doing an investigation. You need to communicate because you need to find out what they're, you know, if there's something that they need or... Um, or you're communicating something for the client, you know, so that communication is the most important thing. And it's kind of when you break everything down, it's the reason that you're there. So, you know, to me, the audio recorder is a must. And, you know, obviously the nicer ones are better, but I mean, you can buy a 30, 40, $50 one at Walmart, you know, to start out and that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got my best EVPs on uh it's a it's a cheap little Olympus that I got way back when yeah. uh, when we first started doing it. I've got some of my best EVPs on that. And I and I know exactly I probably know exactly which one you're talking about. Yeah, I think we uh <laughs> when I, when we were at that uh th- that one god, uh, we didn't do anything in 2020, so last year um yeah. I think yeah, I think I remember seeing one. I was like, "Oh, I have that one." Yeah. Yep. Um so like uh, w- with the uh, with the equipment um, what, uh, what was the one that had the biggest learning curve when you first started using it? Well, like we kind of discussed already, uh, DVR, yeah. <laughs> the DVR system. Oh my. What, <laughs> uh, so what was the biggest problem when you first got your, your DVR system? And it was the same for me. Um, when I, yeah. when I got my first DVR system, I spent weeks trying to get it to work properly. Um, and I, drove the tech guy crazy but like what was it like for you uh, when you when you got the dvr did you did you go cold into a uh, into an investigation and try to set it up or did you spend some time with it well when i got it i i, I set it up around my house so i made, i wanted to make sure everything worked um and kind of get an idea of that so that that wasn't too difficult i mean the, the probably the biggest issue initially was just making sure you you had the right end of the uh of the cable attached to the right part. <laughs> um, but what I had the most uh, difficulty with was it was a generic system. So it wasn't like a name brand. And I couldn't, it took, when I say it took me like a year to figure out how to actually get the video off of it so that we could, you know, review it and clip things if needed to be, if that needed to happen, mm-hmm. um, it took a year. Because I tried to follow all the instructions that I found. None of it worked. I got really frustrated. Just didn't use the DVR for a while because it was kind of pointless if you can't get the video off of it. And then finally, um, I struck gold and figured out how to do it. <laughs> but it literally, it had to be, it had to be, the video had to be downloaded and then it had to be converted. Mm-hmm. So there was the download process, which took a while. And then the conversion process took a really long time. So even if we just did a short four hour investigation, it would take me two days of getting everything off it, converted, and then uploaded to our cloud. Oh, that's a pain. I, I think we might have had the same one. Yeah. It, yeah. it was I hated it. So I was just like, you know what? I gotta find a different one eventually. I just like I, I think I sold it for like fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. And I I just got a different one and, and it, that one was much easier to use. <laughs> I gave mine away and just started using uh, using camcorders again, and now yeah. I uh, I get those GoPro action cams and I convert them to full mm-hmm. spectrum and set them up everywhere. Yeah. Um, now you're using cool. an NVR now. Um, yes. What's the how much different from a DVR is the NVR? Well, setup is a lot easier because um, the the DVR you need the BNC cables, so you have to have the right end at the right spot. Um, with an NVR, it's basically it's an ethernet cable so it doesn't matter which end you run 200 yards away <laughs> you know turn around and fix it um, yeah. so there's that. um and then the system i got is 4k and it has audio which for me was a big deal because there's there's nothing like watching a silent video of a wall for hours on end <laughs> no i have to do that as a pi that's it yeah. sucks yes it does 
kind of start to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really wanted one that had audio, and I wanted to get one that had um, uh, 4K. Mm-hmm. Now, it, obviously- seemed, it seemed really easy to set up when we, when we used yeah. it at that, that time. Um, yeah. how's, how's pulling video off of it? Oh, it, it's, it's easy. It's the cool. same. The, the DVR system I got after the crappy one um, was pretty easy because when you when you downloaded the video, you would choose what um, what format you wanted it in. So you didn't have to do the whole conversion thing. Um, the only thing I had to do was um, just rename the clip so that they weren't just a bunch of random numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, the the uh, NVR is is basically the same. The the cool thing about the NVR versus the DVR though that I had was the NVR I can do well. The DVR had to be in one hour segments, mm-hmm. um, and then the the NVR I can do thirty minutes, forty five minutes, or one hour. Oh, neat. And it's just easier I found to review shorter audio and shorter video clips. So even if there's more of them, it's still easier. Some kind of psychological thing. Now we've been talking about NVRs for a minute and there might be some, uh, actually, you know what? There are definitely, cause I didn't know what it was when we first started talking about it, uh, last year. What, so yeah. what exactly is an NVR compared to a DVR system? Okay. So, um, the DVR system records at the DVR. So the, the, the digital video recorder. So the, uh, the video goes through the BNC cable to the DVR and it records at the DVR. The NVR records at the camera and sends the information to the to, to the um, NVR unit. My understanding that's the biggest difference. And in 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 security cameras in that kind of thing, if you if you want a a um, a better quality, you really need to do the NVR versus the DVR. <laughs> Yeah, I, I noticed the video looked a lot better than in any yeah. of the DVRs or um, even some of the action cams that I've used. So that's yeah, it looked really good. Um, so moving into um, what uh, what is one thing that uh, that someone should know before starting a team? The one thing. You know what? That's a crap question. So we're gonna take that one out. Um, <laughs> So, like when you uh, when you started uh, when you started your team, what uh, what was the biggest shock? We've already gone through that one. Um, okay, here we go. What uh, for someone who's looking to join a team? Something that we we come across a lot is uh, team leads will say we we want you to have experience before you come on. Or um, they just don't get emails back. What uh, what advice do you have to someone who wants to join a paranormal team as far as how to stick out or how to get that um, experience that everybody seems to want? Well, I'll kind of preface this by saying that I don't necessarily. I mean, if, if somebody comes with experience, that is amazing. Generally, people with experience already have equipment. Um, so, so all of that's just that's just great. But I don't have a problem bringing somebody onto our team who doesn't have experience because there's no bad habits to break, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, you kind of teach them from the ground up. I guess the, the biggest issue with those people is a lot of them, like I said earlier, they don't realize the amount of work that goes into being part of a team. You know, they, they think of the investigation, which is great and fun, maybe four to eight hours long, but not the you know, hours and hours you spend in front of your computer doing review or the, the group meetings where we discuss business or, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it than, than a lot of people realize. Mm-hmm. So things that you can do to get experience or to stick out, um, you can go to public paid hunts, investigations. Um, so places like Old South Pittsburgh Hospital, Waverly Sanatorium, um, Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, they, they do... Um, what they call public hunt. And basically, as long as you're over 18, for most of them, um, you just pay, you pay money and you go, usually it's between somewhere between 50 and a hundred dollars for the public hunt. Hmm. And you go and you're there and you'll be with, you know, other investigators and they'll, they'll separate you off into groups with an experienced investigator and as far as serious investigation, it's difficult because if 
you have 200 people in a building, you know, there's contamination, people are whispering, um, but you get an idea of what's involved. You get an idea of how the equipment's used. Um, and then some of those places also do event, public events where there's, you know, famous ghost hunters there from like the TV shows. So you get a meet and greet with those kind of people. Um, but it's cheaper to go when they don't have the celebrities. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them have training. Like some of them you can go yeah. in and you'll, they'll actually show you um, how to properly use an EMF or, or mm-hmm. how to do an EVP session. So you, you've got that walking in. Um, yeah. What, uh, what makes an applicant stand out to you? Um, consistent communication. Um, they fill every, they, you know, if somebody just contacts me and says, Hey, I want to join. Like if that's the extent of their message, I'm kind of, uh, okay, why, <laughs> you know, um, I do a in-person interview with everybody before I bring them on. And I'm very blunt and try to explain to them, um, exactly what's involved going in. So, you know, at least I've told them all of that. Um, if if, if people are kind of flaky, like they they message me or email me and I respond and they don't respond for like two months. I mean, I'm not, but that's just, just a no, because obviously you, you, you got other stuff going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always ask people, why do you want to join? And the majority of people, you know, are kind of like where I was, I had experiences and I wanted to, you know, look into it. And then you have other people who are skeptical, but you know, want to see if they can have that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in general, really, it's the level of their communication that really sticks out to me. Gotcha. So guys, That's... if you were, if you were looking to join a team, make sure you know why you want to join, communicate well, and, uh, and show some follow through because yeah. follow through is one of the biggest things that are lacking in this, in this field. Yes. Uh, Sam, yes. thank you so much for coming on the show. This uh, it's it's been great talking to you. I'll, I'll probably try to have you back on at some point to uh, to talk about some of the other cases and um, and do some of the deep dives for the uh, for the events that are coming up. Okay, yeah, anytime. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Ghost Hunter Advice Podcast. If you are seeing value and you're getting something out of this. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. Also, rate and review us. Uh, It's the fastest way to help people find the podcast and let them know that it's worth listening to. If you'd like to be part of the discussion and you want to get in on this episode, ask questions and have them answered on the air during the listener question podcast or during the listener question episode, go to the Facebook group. So go to Facebook, search Ghost Hunter Advice Group, join and make sure you fill out the questions. That's how we weed out the bots. You can also email your questions and experiences to ghosthunteradvice at gmail.com to have those answered on the air and to possibly come on the show during the call-in episodes. All right, that's it. I'll see you guys next week.